And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. Yeah. Gabe Christian, how you feeling tonight? Oh, I love it. Um, hey, it is my huge honor and privilege to be back uh, with y'all tonight. Um, I just want to welcome everyone who's here. Maybe uh, we've never met before. My name's Chris. Like he said, I lead pastor church out in Southern California uh, called Our City Church. I want to welcome also everyone who's watching online and just say thank you for uh, being here. Maybe you're listening to this on a podcast. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, that's what we're going to study today. That's where the Sermon on the Mount is we're going to continue this series uh, together today. I'm really excited to share what God's laid on my heart for you. Uh, before I do, I just want those of us who have never met me maybe before uh, to get to know each other or to just be update you with like where we're at in my life. Um, I'll show you a couple pictures real fast. This is over here, uh, just my team. This is our staff now. And uh, I, the reason I'm showing you that one first is because that staff would not exist if it wasn't for so many of you here in this room and watching online right now, you have been generous to Cape Christian and Cape Christian, you as a church have been generous to us. We launched our church, like planted it about a year and a half before COVID. And um, because uh, our church is in California and our governor's a little different than yours, um, <laughs> we weren't allowed to meet. We didn't own a building. We rented out of a school uh, every single every single weekend. We have a team of people for the last, well, now four years. They woke up every single Sunday morning at 4 a.m. We unload two huge trailers, set up church, tear it back down around 2 o'clock, go home, do it every week, rinse and repeat. Um, and so the only way we could meet was at the school. Well, uh, the school district shut us down from meeting. We didn't own a building, so we could. I didn't see our church for um, 16 months and the way we made it through that was churches like you guys blessing us and making our ministry possible. We didn't have all these people. They weren't on our team. They are now. Um, they're either, that, by the way, that's wives included too. Our staff is, I mean, that's huge, geez. But um, I, I forgot, I didn't tell the other team that. They're all like, man, this church is big. It's like, no, we're like not big. But, um, but our team's amazing. And I just want you to see that those people wouldn't be involved in ministry at our church if it wasn't for you being so generous and so loving and about the mission, not just at uh, your church here at Cape Christian, but like about the kingdom of God. And so thank you for all you've done for that. I've got a couple other pictures of just my, my family and um, that's us. That's my, my family, my wife. That's our daughter, Eliana. She's seven now. Um, that's our dog, Shadow. He knows who the boss is. You can see he's fixated there. Uh, that's our Christmas uh, family picture. Also, um, the dancing princess of my life. I put that in there just so I could see it while I'm preaching. Um, and uh, this is our worship service, just going after the Lord and, and raising up our church. Uh, that's our big outreach we do, trunk or treat. We just have everyone in, um, come out. In the, we had 1,500 kids for Halloween, and we just ministered to our city, blessed them, encouraged them, loved them. It was really awesome. That's me and your pastor, and, um, and that's the closest I've ever been to a gator in my life, and uh, I'm not ashamed to say I'm from California, total city boy. Uh, I was afraid. That's me 20 pounds ago. Um, <laughs> 
COVID was good to me. Um, and I just want you guys to know how much I love your pastor. And I want to tell you that y'all have literally one of the best our nation has in terms of lead pastors. You guys are fortunate. You're, you're blessed. You guys got it good. And uh, I just wanted you to know that. Um, if you are under the age of 30 today, I really would like to invite you to lean into today's message, okay? Um, and I would encourage you to do this. I'd encourage you to take out something, if you can, write with. If you didn't come with, open up a memo or a note on your phone. And I'm gonna say some things to you tonight that I wish I would have understood and heard before I turned 30 years old. Uh, because I could have set myself up and I could have been prepared to answer some really critical and important questions and to know how to go about it practically. And I'm gonna help you with that at the end of the message in some very practical ways. But I do want you to understand um, something that I wish I would have told. And, I, I, and, I, and trust me on this. This is gonna be something that your future spouse is gonna hope that you know. This is gonna be something that your future kids are gonna hope you know. This is gonna be something your future boss is gonna hope you know, your future employees, if you are the boss are going to hope that you know. Um, and some of you might have heard this stuff before. You might have already heard it, but maybe have forgotten it or just haven't been reminded of it in a while. And I'm, certainly it could be for you as well. But I really believe I want to help you answer. So that, that's part of the reason under the 30-year bracket is what I'm hunting here tonight. I want you to be able to answer the question, what will my life count for? What will my life be about? And the reason that's important is if you do not determine that, in this season of your life, be it high school, college, whenever you determine that, you know, in your first job season, in your 20s, if you do not determine what your life will be about, what your life will count for, there is a multi-billion dollar industry out there that wants you to make what your life is about what their ideas and values are. And they will do all they can to get your time to get your focus, to get your heart, to get your energy, to get your money, to get you to give your life to what they want you to care about. And they are using a powerful ability to communicate to you on a daily basis to get that. And so it's important for you to be able to go, whoa, 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 before I just wake up every day and before I know it, I'm just living what's in front of me, didn't ever try to like not live my values or not live my purpose or not live my meaning, but I just started doing what was in front of me, what everyone else was laughing at, thinking about, doing, being, I'm just kind of rolling with the punches. And you wake up a year later, five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, and you're like, why, why is my life what it is? How did this happen? How did I get into this place? And say, I wanna help you be able to avoid that. So I'm gonna tell you something right off the bat. I want you to write down. I want you to type in. I want you to be able to hold on to this. And this is what it is. It's the phrase that I hope will just like st stay in your heart. Priority determines capacity. Priority determines capacity. Priority determines capacity. Say it with me. Priority determines capacity. Make it make sense, Pastor Chris. You got it. I will. Okay, listen. This is what it means. Whatever you do first equals what you will have the capacity to do. Not what you hope to do, not what you think about a lot, not what you have a heart for, not what makes you cry at like some like Chevrolet commercial or whatever, like not that. But like what you do first will always determine what you have the capacity to do. And many of us have the same values. We value God, we value our faith, we value our family, we value our health, we value um, you know, maybe school or finances or making a difference on this planet. We value those things. But what also is true is that we have these other things that are not as high on the priority list, but we make them more important because we actually do them first. 
And so these other things that you start doing first, you kind of leave the things you care about for the leftovers instead of leaving the leftovers for the things you don't care about that much. And this is common in our world. It's standard in our world. It is normalized in our world. I would even say it's celebrated in our world. But nobody posts about it. Why? Well, no one's gonna share their disappointing, sad, sorry end of their day, end of their week, end of their month, end of their year life when they're like, man, why does my life feel like it doesn't have really meaning or purpose to it? But you're not gonna go like, you know what, right now, today, like you're not gonna do that. You just talk about, oh, look at this, this was so great. And you could try to make it look like your life is feeling so good. But if you do not determine the answer to the question, what will my life be about? What will my life count for, you'll give it to things that will just steal your time. Netflix, Hulu, Prime, Amazon Prime, streaming, this show, that show, video games, the endless TikTok, endless swipes, laughs, likes, sends to people, um, <laughs> shopping, spending money you shouldn't be spending or, or don't even really have to impress people you don't even know or and don't even wanna hang out with. Right, like there's this whole idea of how many times we do the most important things out of order. And when you do the most important things out of order, let me tell you what's gonna happen. When it comes time to do the important things, you won't have enough space to do it because you've filled your life with all kinds of other stuff. So you don't have space, not just physical space. You just don't have the time space. You don't have the money because you've spent the money on the things. So that when it's time to care about things that you wanna care about, you can't care about it because you spent time caring about things you don't really care about. What you do first determines what you can end up doing. So the key to getting things done that matter to you isn't just adding things to your life. It's prioritizing the things you already have in your life. And, and so what should go first then? If, if, if what goes first determines what you do with your life, what your life will be about, what it will have for its meaning, what goes first? I mean, obviously a lot of us people of faith here today, we would be like, well, I think God goes first. Yeah, but what does that even mean? Like, what does that look like? What does that mean? Does it mean when you wake up, you don't get out of bed until you like talk to the ceiling and go, God, just so you know, I'm totally like, I love you, you're first, okay, go. Is that it? Checkbox, done, good? Or is there something else to it, right? Like how does it actually look? And what's cool about Jesus is he knew that our world would become what it is. This is no surprise to him. He knew, and so he put some things in the scripture that will help us go, oh, oh, okay. And he literally wants you to know how to prioritize the things that should go First, and so Matthew chapter six, if you have your Bible, go ahead and look there. Verse 19, that's what we're gonna look at. Before we do, humor me real quick. Everyone real loud, say there and then. If you're new to me and we haven't met before, uh, it's something I've done for my whole preaching life. I want you to understand what was happening in the Bible there and then when it was written. Like, what's going on? I want you to imagine it, to picture it, to grasp it, to see it. Jesus is on, as you know, the Sermon of the Mount. We've talked about that. That's what this whole series is about that you, you're in and you're gonna be in. He's been talking all day long, right? Like, it's been a long day of preaching. He's teaching people new stuff. He's saying some pretty audacious stuff. He's led with this phrase, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. So he's interpreting scripture, which is a pretty like bold thing to do, right? Not, and, and all his listeners are listening in, and he has been like, he's been handling the hot topics of the day, okay? Whatever, like whatever your and my culture, like our stuff is, right? Like whichever lives are supposed to matter, like, right? Like which, whichever like choice you should have with your body, right? My body, my choice when it comes to a baby, but then it's, is it my body, my choice when it comes to the jab of the needle and the mask? Like who gets to have the choice? It's like, well, we're not sure, right? So Jesus is handling all the hot topics. I can go further if, I, if you wanted to. And if I even brought up California stuff, I would just like, wow, you'd be like, whoa, yeah, lots of issues, lots of issues. 
Jesus is doing it. His list is different. He's talking about salt and light. How do you represent him and his kingdom to people who don't know it? He's talking about the Mosaic law. He's bringing up anger. He's talked about lust, okay? He's taught on divorce. He's taught on how to, your word or your vow. He's taught on retaliation. He's talked about loving your enemies. He's taught on the needy, those that need, that are without what you have. He's taught the Lord's Prayer. No big deal, just the Lord's Prayer. Um, He's also taught fasting and the purpose behind that. And now the master teacher himself, Jesus, with everyone who's heard all he's had to say, it's like he's rounding third, okay? Inside the 10-yard line, he's like coming for the goal, right? And if you don't like sports references, I don't know, whatever you like to do. If you like to cook, it's like the clock is about to hit. It's time to take the food out. Like whatever it is, it's time. It's here It's ready, and often we save the best for last, don't we, right? You save the best for last, dessert, sweet, save the best for last, like, right, you always wanna save that, ooh, right? I mean, if you're a real Christian, you know which part goes last with the cinnamon roll, right? Come on, the middle, it's not not hard, people, it's not hard. That was not a confounding thing, that was a a soft toss to you. That was you just to go, the middle. I'd like to thank my parents. I'd like to thank Jesus, my Lord and Savior, right? Like, that was easy. Right, we saved the best for last. That's what Jesus is doing. And he brings it home. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin, rodents destroy it and where thieves can break in and steal. So he says, look, do not store up. Do not hoard, do not hold on to, do not try to control who gets what. No, do this instead. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So Jesus introduces this whole different rating system of a successful life. Right, We all understand treasures on earth. That's not hard to understand. We get that. But Jesus introduces his value system of what treasure really should be. And all of a sudden, he goes, hey, storing up treasure on earth, man. No, I don't know. That's not what it's about. It's about treasures in heaven, which does beg the question, what does heaven treasure? What is the treasure of heaven? Like, well, first and foremost, the treasure of heaven we are found, if you're new to the, to the church or maybe getting back to church or maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a Jesus follower, you're maybe not even a Bible reader, there's this really famous scripture. It's, it's written by a guy named John and he wrote it this way. He said, for God so loved the world, our earth, the people on this earth of all time who will ever live and have ever lived, he so loved us that he gave his only son to die for our sins as a ransom to take away all of our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, right? So this promise, and it's also this telling of what heaven had a treasure of. The treasure of heaven was Jesus himself once upon a time. And heaven went without. Heaven emptied itself of its treasure to go to a bankrupt earth who had no value or way for saving itself. And he said, I'm gonna make treasures out of the earth. How do you make treasures out of a bankrupt area? How do you make treasures out of a barren land? You gotta have an eye for redeeming things that have potential value if someone knows how to restore it. 
And Jesus says, I know how to restore broken things in your life. I know how to redeem them. I know how to put value back on them. If you bring what's broken in heart, broken in your heart, in your life, in your mind, if you bring it to me, I'll redeem it and give it back its value. But to do that, God himself had to empty heaven of its treasure to come here to earth and say, I'm about to make treasures in heaven. I'm gonna store up treasures in heaven. And, and where do we then see what that looks like? Well, if the treasure himself left heaven to come to earth to get treasures, what were the treasures he came to get? Luke made it really clear. Another one of the writers of Jesus, he said it this way. He said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the son of man, the son of God, Jesus, he came to seek and save the lost. The Bible does not want the followers of Jesus to be fuzzy on this. And it can get fuzzy. It can get difficult to remember, what am I doing here? Like, what am I really doing here? Like, am I here to just accumulate as much as possible to enjoy as much of it as I possibly can, period? Is that the trend? No, he says, that's, you're just storing up treasures on earth when you do that. And this is never gonna be a message against enjoying your life. Again, we didn't talk about what is on the list. Are you ready? We talked about what order is the list made up in. Where is the priority of the treasures of your life? Jesus, he himself went out of heaven, bankrupts heaven of its real treasure to come to bankrupt earth to give it value and to redeem it, and to have it for himself. It says this is what's true about it, and this is so interesting because Jesus is now redefining what the treasure he wants it to be for us, and he says, don't store up this earth's treasures. Why? Because listen to me, if you're under the age of 30, I don't care what they tell you. You will not have fulfillment if that's what you do. I live around some of the wealthiest people on the planet, okay? I sit in a room every now and then, every Friday with a group of guys, and, and, and some of these guys are some of the most high net worth value guys I've ever met. And I meet different people, not these guys, but there's other people I've met in our area. Newport Beach, California is some of the upper 1% people in the world, and I know some of the most miserable, lonely, sad, empty people whose kids don't wanna come over for Thanksgiving, whose grandkids don't have any of the values that grandpa, grandma had. Because somehow the disconnect happened, why? Well, because the focus and the priority was not building the treasures on earth. It was building the treasure on heaven, and don't look now, but now the grandkids have the same values that the grandparents had, that the mom and dad have. And so now it's hard to be like, wait, 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 no, have values, care, I did. It's like, you did, but you didn't communicate it. You did, but you didn't demonstrate it. You did, but like really, what went first? What really goes first? And Jesus is coming into our hearts. So listen, if you're under the age of 30, I wanna save you from that. You don't have to end up like that. You can actually be like, I, I wanna do it now. Well, what does it practically look like? He says this, you gotta know this about it. He says, here's why. Because where your treasure is, verse 21, that's where your heart will be also. You want your heart to end up in heaven? Then you gotta think about what heaven treasures. And heaven treasures People who are lost without hope, without restoration, without the knowledge that Jesus included them in his plan of redemption for the earth. And he says, I want a heart that is fixed on the real riches of heaven, the real treasure of heaven, which is people. 
that Jesus died for. He did not die just so we could have all the things we could possibly afford. He did not die for that vacation home. He did not come and say, the treasures of heaven, man, that's if you could just make sure you get your investment portfolio just right. Because how much is enough money? Just a little bit more than I got right now. Come on. If we tell the truth, right? I don't know how you are when you come to church. I try to tell the truth for a living, okay? I wanna tell you the truth. How much is enough money for any of us? Oh, just a little bit more than I got right now. That's all. Just a little bit more to have, to own, to control, to be like, hey, hold on, this is, you know. I'm kind of the Lord of this money and I'll distribute it to who I want to, how I want to, and I want to control it. Jesus comes into that and goes, don't do that. You will be empty if you prioritize building your kingdom instead of mine. It won't work. He says the true riches of your life is not the boat and the gas it takes to run it. It's not the Airbnb home you've got. It's not making sure you've got the latest and greatest. It's not making sure the TV is just a little bit bigger this year than last year. He says, no, I want you not to chase a status, not to chase a symbol, not to chase an amount. I want you to make sure that you are living your life so that other people can know what you've come to know about Jesus and his love for you. That's what your life needs to become about. Do not store up. Don't chase it all on this earth and have nothing but your things to show for it. In essence, what's he saying? He's saying that, Here's how you see it. Here's you, and I'm just like you. We all see it this way, right? We're human. It's part of the brokenness. This is why we need Jesus to fix us, but this is how we see it. We see the treasures on earth, and we say, man, with my life, what will I, what will I have to show for it? And Jesus wants to ask a better question. He goes, stop asking what you will have to show for it and start asking who will you have to show for it? Who will your life have to show? for what you spent your time, energy, and money doing. Not what. You have all these things. Yippee, yippee-a. <laughs> no, listen, he invites us to something more meaningful. Listen to me. If you are tired of having a level of emptiness to all of what you actually have, did you hear the difference? I didn't say you don't have stuff. You got plenty of stuff. You have so much stuff that you're actually empty because it's not being purposed correctly anymore. Somewhere along the line, and this isn't because you don't believe in Jesus. Some of you people listening to this message, you totally believe in Jesus. It's because you're a human sinner and your heart wants what this world offers and not what God offers. And that's why we come to the scripture, we come to church, we listen to the word of God because the word of God is a perfect double-edged sword and it comes right into your heart and doesn't care about your ego, doesn't care about your status. It's not trying to impress you. It doesn't want to be impressed. You can't impress God anyways. He made you and gave you what you got. What are you gonna do? Impress him with what you got? What your portfolio looks like? God, take a look at this. Look what I did. What? He's like, I made it. I made it all, all of it. Places you've never been in the sea, I made. Get at me. Jesus invites the rest of us to come to this place where we ask, who does my life have to show for it? This changes everything. And now Jesus is gonna totally flip the script. And he goes all super wise, like sage, like sage dude, like says something so wise. You ever have someone some, say something really wise and it's like so wise, you don't even know what they mean. And you're kind of like, are you gonna explain that dude? Because I don't even know what you just said. Okay, and he says this. Now this is what's interesting about it. He's been talking about treasures. 
He's been talking about the treasures of heaven. He's compared earthly treasures with heavenly treasures. He's definitely let it be known. He's talking about people. He's talking about treasures, and he knows what it is that competes for God in our heart. The number one thing that will compete for God in your heart is success and money, and that is it. It is a competitor. We will do a lot for the almighty money because of how powerful it is and it makes us feel when we have a little bit more. Because some of you think, I promise you this, you think, well, if I just had that much, I would be cool then and I would do what God asked me to do and I would be obedient and I'd start tithing and I'd be generous and I'd help the building plan and I'd get behind the vision and I would do what God calls me to do. I would, I just need a little bit more. Can I tell you that you have a little bit more than you had five years ago when you were still telling yourself that lie? You know you've been telling yourself that lie for years, right? If you've been following Jesus for like five, 10, 15, 20 years, you still telling yourself that lie. And I love you enough to tell it to you. Why? Because I know it's way more than just that, that that thing is doing. It's not just one little lie. It actually is ruining so much more of your life because you're not prioritizing the things that you should prioritize and the people in your family are paying a price. People in this city need to know and can, but it will take all of us to go, wait a minute, I need to slow down because I didn't try to get out of order. I didn't try to like, mess up the priorities, but here I am. Here I am needing to hear what Jesus says is the priority. And then he flips it and he goes, verse 22, out of nowhere, ready? The eye is the lamp of the body. Okay, that follows up where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Now we're talking about the eye is the lamp of the body. Then he goes on, and if your eyes are good, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And this verse, these verses in order have always confused me as I read it, which is why I like to get into the there and then. It's why your pastor does, Pastor Corey does. It's part of the reason we're such good friends is we like getting into what, what, what is this? Well, what's going on there? I'm gonna go underneath that because it doesn't make sense to be talking about people's treasures, people's materialistic ideals about greed or, 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 or the ideas of what we do with our money and the control and power we wanna have. And then all of a sudden you wanna talk about what my eyes look like? What they're looking at? What they... Why did you go from talking about money and greed to talking, I don't know, like to a group of middle school boys about what they look like and look at? It's like, hey, what do you look at? Hey, hey, watch what your eyes look at. Actually, Jesus is saying something pretty powerful. He wants us to know what a good and a bad eye is. In Hebrew, having a good eye is the Hebrew phrase ayin tovah. And ayin tovah means to be generous. That's what having a good eye meant in their culture. You ever say some stuff in your English culture and when you say it, we're used to it, so it's no big deal to us, right? That was what that meant, to have a good eye meant to be generous. Ayin tovah, Jesus says, if you have a good eye, if you're generous, then your eyes will make your whole body full of light. Ayin tovah, that's what I want you to have. Ayin tovah, I want you to have a good eye and to be generous. But then he says, look, if, you're, if you have a bad eye, that's ayin ra'ah, and that means to be stingy. So he's saying, not what are you looking at, he's saying, listen, if you, if you want to have a good eye, you gotta be generous. That doesn't make sense to us. We go like, I don't understand how good, well, it's the same way a thousand years from now, if the, the world lasts that long, when they read how we used to say, man, we just need to kill two birds with one stone. Well, I hope from like that period or whatever that some preacher will go, hey, let's talk about the there and then. I mean, 
these people were awesome, but they weren't throwing one rock, killing two birds. I just want to be clear. It's a figure of speech. When Jesus says, I want you to have a good eye, not a bad eye, it's a figure of speech to their culture. And what it meant is, I want you to know how to have a body full of light. You want to have a body full of light? Then you need to develop a good eye. You need to be generous. That's what marks the people of God's kingdom is their generosity. It's what shows somebody that you value the treasures of heaven. It's what shows them that you see something beyond you. And he makes his point so great because he says, look, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a follower of my kingdom, this is what's supposed to mark you. This is what's supposed to own you. It's what's supposed to be a way that you show it to people. And he says, look, if then the light that is within you is actually darkness, if the, the, if the light of Jesus that is supposed to be a bright light in you actually gets stingy, well, then you're violating everything that it's been and, and the fact that you were supposed to be generous. Why? Well, because God so loved the world, he was generous. And that's the God we're following and that's the Jesus we're following. And he's the one we tell everyone that we believe in. And then we believe in him and we violate it by storing up treasures on earth and ignoring his passionate plea to make your life count for the treasures that he treasured. And heaven gave up its treasure to put people into heaven as a treasure. And then he asked us to be a part of it. He's going after materialism. He's letting us know, look, you, you, you can't serve both these things. Now he brings it back home and it makes sense because he goes like this, you can't serve two you can't serve both. You're not gonna serve two masters. You will either hate the one and, be, and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, ready, both God and money. You can't have a good eye and have bad eyes. You can't see real good and see bad. Nope, and you can't be a follower of Jesus and be stingy. It doesn't line up with the belief of Jesus. And you know how you know this? He's warning us because he knows what it looks like and you know what it looks like. He came for us and he did it for us, but you've seen it before. You've seen what it looks like. You've seen generous people. You've met generous people. What did it do? When you met and saw generosity, didn't it capture your heart? Didn't a light beam out of what you were watching from these people's hearts and souls and shine a light on people who maybe didn't even deserve it? Didn't it make you stand at attention and almost take your breath away and just go, what? What am I watching? You've met generosity before and it made you think there was something bigger than what it means for you to be happy in the moment. That some level of real deep happiness and fulfillment is only there for those who will go, this ain't even about me, and I don't have all this stuff just for me. The first one it's for ain't me. See, when you begin to come at it from Jesus' perspective, he begins to shift and change it, and you wanna know how you even know any of this stuff? You wanna know why you have your salvation? Because once upon a time, somebody was thinking about you, your future, instead of their own. Once upon a time, there was someone along the journey of Jesus's truth and faith in the church, and they did not build their future, they built yours. They put something into the church. They gave to the kingdom of God. They spent time praying. They witnessed, they volunteered, they showed up. They gave to a building program. They gave to a church. They made sure somehow, some way, that those people I may never meet this side of heaven have a chance to know the Savior I know so well now. They thought of you, not them, you. 
And now it's our turn. We're the ones with the baton. We're the ones running the lap. We're the one running the race. And he invites you in to go, who will you think about now with what you have, with what you've been given? How will you have a good eye? How will you build up treasures in heaven? If you're under 30, I wanna show you just an idea of what this looks like. Here's the way our world is gonna tell you to think about your pursuit of success, especially when it comes to your resources, your money. This is what it tells you to do. First things first, spend your money on you and the things you want. First things first, spend first. Okay, second, it will say save for your future, your future family or whatever, the ring or the wedding or whatever. Saving, you know, is, is gotta be a big priority. And then the last one, it would be like, okay, and then give to God or give to others or, or give away, right? First thing is spend, second one is save, and then the last one is give. When you do that, though, your generosity and your savings also, the savings you have for your future, it becomes sporadic. It actually becomes inconsistent, and there is a better way to live, and Jesus has shown us what it is. And I'm gonna tell you this, if you can't enjoy what you have right now currently, getting a little bit more, a lot of it more, you won't enjoy that either. Ain't gonna happen. Don't believe the lie that if you just got this one next thing, ooh, now you're, now you're satisfied. No, you actually will still be unsatisfied, unhappy, because you would have bought into a lie that says, getting this will give me that, and it doesn't. Actually, stewarding what you've been given for God's kingdom and purposes and for other is what actually brings you that thing. Why? Because you have right now, I told you this earlier, you have right now what you dreamed to have in 10 years ago. You actually have right now what 10 years ago you were like, oh, it would just change my life. But the inability to enjoy things is a heart issue because you have heart issues that are out of place. They're not in line with the order of what God says is supposed to be prioritized. And so there's this light and dark, good eye, bad eye situation happening in your heart. And can I tell you this? And this would be hard for some of you to hear, but you need to hear it. There are people with less than you that are happier than you. You've met them. You've, you've traveled overseas to see and meet them. Way less than you, way happier than you. Way more fulfilled, way more content, way more stress-free, way less anxiety, way less thoughts about all the stress and pressure, way more joy. You know why? Because they're lined up with something that Jesus says to do. I have been to these countries. I have traveled to these people and they give first to the things of God. They prioritize who God is, and it doesn't matter if what they're given is pesos, if it doesn't matter if they're given, what they're given is, is some currency's lowest level of economy. They're doing it because they believe in a principle that God made them to advance the kingdom of God, and if they will prioritize that, that's what keeps them fulfilled and satisfied on this earth, no matter what they do or do not have. And it is seen so wonderfully, easily even, I would say, when our young kids and our grandkids do it, huh? What moves your heart more than when you're not looking for it and you're not asking for it and that little baby boy or baby girl runs up to you, grabs you by the face and just says, Daddy, I love you and just runs away to play, just gives generously. I didn't ask for it. I didn't even do anything. I'm just here. What is more when a child shares with another child when a child checks on a hurt child, when you see that, when you see generosity, you're watching the God of heaven and earth's principle of what the treasure really is supposed to be about on this earth. That's storing up treasures 
in heaven, it ought to capture you. It's why it does capture us. It's why we're moved to do it. It's why we love doing it. And can I tell you this? It's why the enemy fights to keep you from doing it because he knows how fulfilling it is for you to be like God in your generosity. And I wanna say this again, if you're under 30, generosity is not an income level. If you don't train your heart to be generous when you're making $200 on your paycheck, if you don't train your heart to be faithful to God and to tithe and to give to the things that God calls you to do, if you can't write or give a $20 bill or a $20 check, how are you gonna give a $2,000 check? How are you gonna write a $20,000 check? How are you gonna write a $200,000 check? You think it gets easier the more money it goes? No. Your heart's gonna be like, hey, yo, uh, you know what we could do with this? Man, I've been trying, my wife wants that bathroom redone. What are, we, what are we giving the God's kingdom for? What about the renovation? What about, what about, what about, what about? And listen to me and hear me loud and clear. You can have all that. But God asks you to have it after. You build his house and his kingdom and his principles and his treasures. And that's people who don't know him. He died not for that bathroom renovation. He died to seek and save the lost. And he asks us, never forget it. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget it. Knowing we'll forget it, which is why we as pastors get the fun joy of coming to preach about this subject. Because trust me when I tell you, I got a lot of other messages you would have laughed at and shook your heads yes at a heck of a lot more than this one. But this is the fight. This is the fight of my heart, of your heart. So I wanna tell you, if you're under 30, I want you to write this down. I want you to reverse the order our world tells you. The world says, spend it, then save it, then whatever you got left, give the leftovers to God and give the leftovers to others. And Jesus invites us to do it different. First thing I want you to do is to obey God and to give first. Why? Because priority determines capacity. If you want to have the ability to do what God calls us to do, which is to build the treasures of heaven, give first, tithe first. It's called the first fruits in the Old Testament. The Hebrew people were taught, bring the first fruits of the harvest. The first fruit you pull off that tree, bring those to the storehouse for God. Bring those to God. Bring the first you can to God. Give him that why. It belongs to him. In fact, God said, and Jesus quotes all kinds of this stuff. Jesus believed in tithing, and it's part of what it is in the principles of both New Testament and Old Testament. And he says this, bring your first fruits to me. And he actually says, return it to me. The biblical language is return the tithe to me. Why? Because he says this, 100% of what you have is mine. I'm only asking for 10% to keep your heart from materialism and greed. That's it. And so I could build the kingdom and reach other people who know what you know. Just like how those people thought of you, he's asking you to think of them and to be obedient. If you're under the age of 30, I implore you, give first, save second. Determine right away what percentage of what you make will go to God and what will go to your future needs and the things you have. Save second and then live on the rest. Ready? Give, save, live. If you've never heard that before, I want you to hear that. Give, save, live. If you will do that, not only do you invite the blessings of God, you will build the treasures of heaven and that is how you will have fulfillment with your days on earth. And if you make your life about that, it will transform your life. I want you to take a look at this, this clip of a movie. It's a movie that a lot of you have seen. If you're younger, you maybe have never seen it, but it's this wonderful story uh, about this man who saves a lot of people's lives. And for me, I think of, uh, I think of this guy, we call him Sauce, and uh, he's only been a Christian for the last like six months. 
but he came to our church. He got invited to our church years ago, or I'm sorry, months ago. And when he came, he, you know, he went into it, went into it, and little by little by little by little, us just making space and making time for him. He came to give his life to Christ, um, and then he had invited his mom, who didn't believe in God at all, and she came to his baptism. And it transformed this whole family, and it's an active story happening right now in my church. And I was able to sit with one of the guys in my church who he's generous, he's very generous. And I sat with him and I said, hey, I want you to see this story. And we did a little film on it and it's not what we're gonna show you, but I want you to hear that I was able to show him if you don't, if you don't give generously, this kid never knows Jesus like he does. And I guess the question I wanna ask you to consider as we watch this video clip is what would you put as the cost of a soul who doesn't know Jesus? What is that worth to you? What is the price of a soul for you? What, what would, if you knew you could get a soul to come to know Jesus through Cape Christian, what is that value to you? Because that is what our life has to become about. That's the treasures of heaven. You know this movie, you've seen it before. If you've not, this man saved back in World War II era. He saved a, um, 1100, around 1,100 Jewish people from extermination in a Nazi war camp. And he did this by hiring them and by using his own money to make sure their lives were saved. And this is the end of that movie. And I want you to see it if you've never seen it before. This is a powerful clip and it's imagery for me that I've always appreciated that shows me and reminds me of my own human heart. Chris, don't lose sight of what your life needs to be about. It's about the treasures of heaven, not the treasures of Chris. Take a look. Why did I keep the car? 
Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. This pin. Two people. This is gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for At least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. Person stand. For this. I could have gone. One more person. What is the price that you will determine what your life will be about for a soul? Because that's what it comes down to. At the end of it all, it all, when it's all said and done, man, you don't take any of the treasures that are on this earth with you. They stay here. And God is inviting you to find meaning and value, to be able to look and say, look what, look what we did. We saved people's lives. The man says to Oscar Schindler, uh, what's on the inside of that ring, he says, he who saves one life saves the world entire. How about your one and how about the ones of those that are in this room that will require us collectively as a church to say no to our world's way of valuing treasure, to reject our world's value system, to say no. It's so easy to say no when, when their values are culturally just like awful to us. We go, oh, I don't want that taught in my kid's school. Oh, I don't want my kids to learn about that at that age. Oh, I can't believe they're showing this online. Oh my gosh, I can't believe kids are there. I don't want these values on my kids. It's so easy to stand against those types of values and easy for us to go, I see that and I don't want that. But it's really hard to see that we still can line up and value the same things, which is accumulating stuff for ourselves and holding a treasure on earth. But we ought to reject that value system of our world too. Don't just stand against the things you see in culture that you don't like. Stand against the thing you see in your own heart that says, oh, I just wanna have it for me, more for me, and say, you know what? That also is a part of this culture's value system. And I will reject that for myself and in my family as well. What's the cost? What's the price? What are you willing to do in order to make sure that there is not what your life stood for, not what your life has to show for it, but who? Who does your life have to show for it, even if you don't meet them till you get to heaven? That's what I think God is calling us to do. And let me remind you lastly with this, Jesus went first. He's never gonna ask you to do something he didn't do for you. He's only asking you to do what he already did for you. He's asking you to do what a thousand years ago Christians did. They thought of us and they gave most and they went first. And now it's our turn as the church of Jesus that we're here on this earth to say, we must treasure the treasures of heaven in our day and our time too. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I bow my heart before you with your precious church. And God, we um, invite you right now to speak directly to our hearts. I don't know who is in this city. God, I don't even know who don't even live in this city, but they're moving to Cape Cod. And they will need Cape Christian to be prepared for them and their challenges and their problems and their teenagers and their children and God in their marriages. They will need a church, God, equipped and readied for that. 
And God, this church can get there if everyone will be reminded deeply or taught firmly to value the treasure that you, the treasure of heaven yourself, Jesus, valued to seek and save the lost, to be a place to show them who you are. God, I pray that you would take away today the spirit of materialism or greed. I ask God you would strip it off of us. I ask God you would remove it. I ask that you would illuminate it, help it to be easy for us to see, as easy as it is to see the things that make us gasp that they're showing our kids or doing nowadays or what's on TV or taught in schools, as easy as it is to gasp at those values of our current culture. May we equally gasp when we find ourselves chasing their values and their definitions of treasure on earth. May we be different. May we do what you did. May you do it in us. And may Cape Christian be the church that you designed and want it to be, not just for this generation, but the one that will come after us. I pray these things in your mighty name, Jesus.